Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and my guest today is somebody that I really admire for a lot of different reasons, um, but Todd Uterstadt is co-founder and president and CEO of Baker and Debol. Um, is it Debol or Debol? I always say Debol. Debol. Baker and Debol. Uh, he's also, he's an executive coach, but, but really his background is he was an, a U.S. Army intelligence officer. Uh, vice president of a global organizational development company. They work with tons of large organizations. He's a he's just a he's a juggernaut when it comes to being an executive coach, a great leader, a great dad. And I think he's going to add a lot of value to us today because many of us are figuring out a way to navigate through uh, this crisis that we're in, um, as my teenagers call it, the Rona. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so funny. My colleague says that. <laughs> yeah, trying to navigate the Rona. And and for business owners out there and entrepreneurs, and I know you've got a passion for entrepreneurs, and, and I think thinking, making sure our mindset is right on how we navigate through this time of crisis and look at how we can take this obstacle and turn it into an opportunity. I think Todd's going to be invaluable as we listen to his story and how he can help all of us as founders, as CEOs, as, as stay-at-home dads and moms, which a lot of you are right now, as, uh, as homeschoolers, uh, whatever it can do to get your mindset right to be more impactful. So Todd, welcome and thanks for joining us. Jeff, thanks so much for having me here. Um, um, I feel a little bit overwhelmed by your introduction. I'm just little old Todd to a lot of people. So thanks. Yeah, that's okay. You, you have a, your reputation precedes you. And so I, uh, I'm looking for, I've been looking forward to having you on for a long time. So I'm glad we were able to, to, to work it out. So, well, as we always start with Todd, um, you know, I always peel back the, the onion a little bit on your, on your origin story. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you, where you come from, where you hail from, and maybe who was that early influence in your life that really started to form? Because if I'm not mistaken, uh, Baker and Debol was actually named after somebody pretty influential in your life. And I want to hear a little bit more about that background. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a Connecticut Yankee in the, uh, Queen City's court. Um, so Cincinnati is known as the Queen City and as you know, I'm in Cincinnati, but I'm originally from Connecticut, uh, grew up North of New Haven in this place called the Valley. And, uh, I love that area because it was a melting pot of so many different nationalities. As a matter of fact, just this morning, I was talking to my dad about how in our town, there was an Irish Catholic church, an Italian Catholic church, a Polish Catholic church, an Armenian Catholic church. And you know, they didn't, and you, you went to your Catholic churches, right? Uh, with, based upon your nationality. And so I grew up in a really wonderful town where it was very rich in, in a tapestry of backgrounds and, and um, heritages and, and whatnot. And so, as you mentioned, um, my, 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 it's my grandmother that we named uh, part of our company after. So my uh, colleague and friend, Kyle, and I served in the Army as intelligence officers. And we were trying to think about 2005, well, what are we going to call our company? And, you know, it, it, when you name something, Jeff, you know better than I, it's very significant, right. right? I mean, there's all sorts of messages you send to people when you name it. And so we didn't want to name it after us. So we said to ourselves, okay, if we wanted to make a statement about our values, how would we do that? Well, we both agreed after long conversations that our grandmothers had a huge impact on our lives. 
Now, Kyle grew up in Indiana and I grew up in Connecticut, so we didn't know each other before the Army. But his grandmother's maiden name was Baker. And my grandmother's maiden name is DeBall. And we decided to call our company Baker and DeBall so that when we give our business card, we're reminded of this common link that he and I had to our grandmothers, which was this amazingly unconditional love that they showered upon each of us when we were growing up. And so, yeah, it's named after our grandmothers. That's pretty awesome. What what uh, what were a couple other characteristics that you remember? Um, I assume your grandma's not with us anymore. Is she still? She's not. She passed. Yes. Uh, what what uh, what other characteristics do you remember the most about what she taught you? I may get a little teary eyed telling you this. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> but, um, so like, there's like these little vignettes. I tell my daughter about this now too, where like she would always make everything special for you. Like she had this way of always making you feel special, and she was an entrepreneur. And my grandfather, uh, passed before her, was also an entrepreneur. She ran a daycare in her home. And so um, she would always make you feel special. Like, for example, she would order these. She had soda delivered in a wooden box on her back porch with all these different flavors. And every Saturday, the man would show up with this box. And he, she always make me get all the bottles ready because back then, Jeff, they – you, you use the same bottles and they just recycled the bottles, really recycled them. Right. And she would always make sure I had my special flavors for me. And then we would go to this local farm and we would every day when I would stay with her in the summers and we go to this farm and pick the produce together and make dinner together. And she would always say to me, okay, well, make sure you get the flavor soda that you want to be able to eat with dinner after we shuck the corn together. And, and it's just, and she spoke to you through food. Mm. everything she made was from scratch, everything. And she'd always make sure that she would take rhubarb from her garden um, and make strawberry rhubarb pie. And she'd always like show me how to do it. And so it was very, very, she made, she knew, she knew how to make you feel special in a very simple way that I think sometimes we've lost. Although we've returned to during this COVID-19, I think a bit. (laughs) That's really, really good. Um, so many people right now probably just are flooded with uh, a trip down memory lane of uh, so many memories, right? Of, of their childhood yes. and different. Yes. And, and I think and I shared my story before on our pre-show with you. So many of us have our, our the, the sages in our life have their fingerprints on us and we don't even realize it as we're going through it. But now that's part of your core of who you are. And so now the way you treat other people is a direct reflection of how somebody poured into you at, a, at an early age. And I always tell people, you got to have a sage because everybody does. And then you need to try to be a sage. Give it away, right? And yeah. my whole life's purpose is that someday one of my kids, hopefully all three of them, but at least one of them could use me as a sage in their story. <laughs> That's my whole my whole mission in life, right? Uh, you have a big impact on a lot of people. I, I, I suspect they will be. That's a, that's a, I already like your grandma. I love your grandma. And I can picture those, those, those bottles in the box on the back porch. So that's, that's yeah. fantastic. So thanks for sharing that story. Um, it, it gives us a lot of insight into your character as well. Now, you also had a passion, obviously, for service. You went into the military. Tell us what made you do that. Well, I, that, uh, <laughs> that may sound a little bit more uh, grander than, than um, you may want to hear, but I, at first I enlisted in the Army because I ran out of money going to college. Hey, um, <laughs> what, what so, it takes. And so it wasn't as, it wasn't as um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I wasn't really pursuing some level of honor or service at the time, to be honest with you. Um, I, I was going to Hofstra University in Long Island 
And uh, I worked three jobs in the summer to be able to pay it. And lo and behold, I wasn't really good about adding it all up to determine whether or not I was going to have enough. So um, a friend of mine um, who I was working with said he was enlisting in the army, which was kind of a shock. And I learned about it through him. And I enlisted to become an intelligence soldier. Uh, it was my, my military occupational specialty was a 98 kilo, which is a non-Morse code interceptor analyst. And so I learned how to uh, become a signals intelligence soldier. Um, and I learned a lot. But then when I was in Berlin, I got an opportunity to apply for a scholarship to go back to school, finish my degree, and come back in the, ar- in the Army as an officer. And I did that because I really fell in love with this idea of helping to protect all those elements of the United States of America that are very special and dear, I know, to you and to me and to many others. And so, yeah, so I stayed in and became an intelligence officer because even though I didn't go in with anything other than I just wanted to pay for school, um, I grew to really appreciate the, oh my gosh, I I mean, I I was enthralled with the people. They were just so, everyone pursuing excellence. It was was a a great incubator for me to be able to learn what does service look like? What does excellence look like? What does, um, you know, serving other people and helping uplift them, uplift them look like? And I had a really large number of people who taught me how to do all that. Yeah, that's, that, that's it's so powerful. And, and I, what I love about it is I, I can't help think of, but to think about your grandma. Yeah. You're telling me about how you discovered your passion for serving in the service when it was already deposited in you years before that. You just hadn't had it unveiled yet. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, she, 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 she took care of everyone, my grandmother. And, um, and she's very hardworking. Like, I mean, talk about, uh, she, 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 till her dying days, um, were, was, had a daycare in her home. Um, uh, my grandfather, uh, years ago actually committed suicide. And so she had to raise three girls by herself. Wow. And so she, she really figured it out, you know, and she made it work. And, um, necessity sometimes is the mother of invention, right? Yeah. For many entrepreneurs. And I dare anyone to not say a woman who starts a daycare in their home is not an entrepreneur. You've never watched kids then. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that nobody that right now is going to disagree with you. Where, 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 I know, <laughs> I know, exactly. I know. Like right now, everyone's really realizing how special all of our people who take care of kids and whatnot are. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, that and, um, you know, my mom and dad worked very hard too. My, my mom worked in the postal service and retired as a postmaster. Um, which was a very big deal during those days for the postal service, a woman breaking through to become a postmaster. My dad worked in the same manufacturing plant for 30, I think, one years and retired as a shipping supervisor, coming from a family of 15 who were very, very and they were very, very poor. So, you know, I, I'd like to think that I've uh, inherited the hard work gene yeah. from my grandmother and my mom and my dad. And, and we see this a lot with, with, with folks, and I love it, uh, Todd, is that to really appreciate who you've become, you have to look at where you've come from. Um, and every single human being that I've ever interacted with has this yearning to make a purpose, to, you know, to, to walk in purpose and to make a difference and an impact. You found yours eventually through the military, but deep inside of that was this entrepreneurial spirit. So one day when you get out of the military, you're probably going to do something like you're doing, but let's back, let's backtrack again a second. Cause I just wanted to, I wanted the audience to continue to connect the dots to where people come from, to how life then guides them down a path and their awareness of how they're walking and learning how to walk into their purpose. So in the military, you become an intelligence officer. And I, you know, <clears throat> I know that there's only a handful of stories you can share without actually killing us. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I tell you, I'll have to kill you, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, do you have any uh, anything, any stories that pop out, just a, one or two, like, wow, this was one I can share that was pretty impactful on, on your life and, and what you maybe learned from it? You know, Jeff, I, I, when you say that, so many stories, because I've been, I've been blessed with so many, to learn from so many people. I mean, I just... The military obviously is a great place to learn leadership yeah. <laughs> practice and, and the and the practice thereof. You know, when I graduated from uh, school to be an intelligence officer, I you know you go for six months and then ma- magically presto magical you're supposed to be an intelligence officer. Um, and I was far from it, <laughs> and, and so um, and I was sent after my after school to South Korea, um, and they sent me to become the intelligence officer of a combat engineer battalion called the 44th engineer battalion. Um, and it was called the broken heart battalion because of its history in world war two and, and whatnot in the Korean war. Anyway. I, and so I show up on this, on, the, on this, in this, to this mountain and you, you show up to this big gate and there's all these extremely heavy combat engineering vehicles. And I'm standing at the gate in my very first day with my bag in my hand in my uniform. And I'm looking at this mountain uh, with all these people and all these machines. And I said to myself, oh, my God, what am I doing here? I, I, I mean, I, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I cannot believe they chose me to go do this. What am I going to do? So, you know, and I just dove into learning. I'm like, every day I was drinking from a fire hose. I mean, I would beg people to show me, okay, well, how does this piece of machine work? <laughs> you know? And so... You know, I think I, I think I was just like trying to soak it in so much. And then one day they, just, they said, we're going to go to this two month exercise out in the field. And the field where we would do all this training was on the border between North and South Korea. Very, very close. And part of it was training, but also as part of it to remind the North Koreans that, hey, we're still here. Right. Um, and so um, we were doing this exercise with real men and women and machines out in the battlefield so it wasn't a simulated exercise, which is all very common nowadays in Jeff. It was so cold. It was like 20 below zero. I had regular underwear on. I had long johns on. I had polypropylene uh, uh, things on. I had this thing called a bear suit on. And then I had Gore-Tex uh, coverings over on top of that. It was bitterly cold, okay? And I remember this one moment in time to this day, I will never forget it. I just, I, it's burned into my psyche. It was two o'clock in the morning because the U.S. military, you know, we fight between two and five in the morning, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's when that's everything happens, you know? Right. And so you're tired, you're hungry. In this case, I'm so cold and I'm trying to stay awake. And I'm tracking the battle on this really big wooden board with a map and plastic on top of it and Sharpie pens, okay? High tech, tech. very high tech, right? (laughs) And, you know, my hand is numb and I'm sleepy. And and all of a sudden you hear the crackle of a radio uh, behind me in our armored personnel vehicle. And my battalion commander, uh, my battalion executive officer, Major Cam, he says, hey, two, that's the designation of the intelligence officer. It's the number two. Um, The commander's calling you on the radio. And I had heard the crackling on the radio, but I didn't know he was calling me. Why would he be calling me, Right. So I had to get on, I get on the, this radio, I put it up to my ear, my ear is numb, and I'm holding up this, this like radio type telephone in my ear. And he says to me, Broken Heart 2, that's me, 
This is Broken Heart 6. That's him. And he says, what is your assessment of what is going to happen next? What will the quote-unquote enemy do next? And I was like, you're asking me? (laughs) I'm standing there. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, why is he asking me my opinion? Now, granted, that's my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's my job. And I'm, I'm standing there. I am st- I'm paralyzed because I'm like, oh, well, I, I think I have an idea what's going to happen next based upon all my training. But I don't know. I don't want to tell it to him because what if he takes that information and he uses it and changes what he's doing, you know? Right. So I, I don't know what happened. I think the Holy Spirit descended upon it into my voice <laughs> and just out, out of my mouth came something. I don't remember what I said, to be honest with you. And he, and there was, there was a silence on the radio for like 30 seconds that felt like five hours. I bet. And he gets back on the radio and he says to me, good analysis. I'm going to change whatever operation we're doing. And I, and I stood there like, I wanted to press the button on this radio phone and say, no, don't listen to me. I'm just a pre-intelligence officer. I'm not an actual intelligence I know. I know. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean you're going to change things? That was my deepest fear at that moment in time. Like, I'm going to say something and he's going to change it. And then something's going to happen. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to die. You know, someone's going to get a bad, you know, report. Anyway, long story short is we won the battle. And uh, many years later, I'm coaching one of our clients and he happens to tell me a story about when, uh, when he was in the 44th engineer battalion. And he says to me and talking about his, about uh, a friend of his, Terry Youngbluth. And I said, who? And I and he said to me, yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, he says, that's, that's, I said, that was my battalion commander. And he says, really, I'm best friends with him. And I, and I told him this story. And he said to me, Todd, would you like to talk to Terry and tell him how impactful the story was on you? And I said, I would love to. So many years later, I talked to Colonel Youngbluth. He's now retired. And I said to him, thank you for trusting me. Because that moment in time when you asked me one question, what's my opinion? And, 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 and you took my opinion, my, my, you know, what I have formed inside of me, and trusted that, trusted that. That was so life-changing to me because it gave me the confidence to continue learning to be the best intelligence officer I possibly could be. And he said to me, Todd, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. So I was just doing what I would normally do. I said, I know, but it was life-changing for me. What, what a great story. And I can't help but think, you know, the parallels for this analogous to you know leadership today, whether it's whether it's in corporate America or whether you're starting your own business or whether you're whether it's just relationships in general. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind the audience back to the beginning of your story, where you're standing in a foreign place, brand new, fear, cortisol yes. coming out of your ears, right? Holding a bag, looking at an environment that you have no idea uh, what you're about to walk into. That's that's change. I think most human beings view all change through that lens. They're standing at the foot of that mountain, looking up at what seems to be an insurmountable task, no idea what to do next, and completely fearful of failing. And, and you walked into that. So I think the courage to step forward and face your fear in the midst of change. Right now, many businesses are sitting there looking at the mountain, yeah, that's right. the Rona mountain, <laughs> right? 
and saying, holy cow, I've not ever been here before. I'm holding a new bag in my hand. I'm looking up at this mountain. I have no idea what to do next. And because you walked forward with courage into that, then it didn't, right? I just got done telling my, my, my seven-year-old was learning how to ride a bike. And I, you know, she, we had this conversation around courage. I'm like, Priya, courage doesn't mean you're not afraid, right? Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means that you do it even though you are afraid because it's the right thing to do. And you just keep walking forward. And so I think the two things I took from your story was one, in this state we're in right now, I want to encourage everybody out there, just keep walking forward. You're standing at the mountain. It might look insurmountable, but I promise you that mountain is going to move and we're going to come out the other side of it more intelligent for the experience. And then that's the second part of your story that hit me was your, your training and your experience all led you to that moment and that exercise where you weren't even sure if you knew what you were doing. But then somebody influential asked you. And at that point, it's the moment of truth. You either got to say, I, I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> or here's what I, here's what I think. And, and it turned out to be good, which is <laughs> yeah, good advice, thankfully, right? But for leaders out there today, when's the last time that you went to somebody on your team and genuinely said, what do you think? I don't have the answers. I'm the commander in chief here, but I don't have the answers, but I bet you might. What do you think? That's pretty powerful. I agree with you. And, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because I find that that experience and that story I shared has shaped me so much that um, I, I've had to overcome a, the, the hero over the years, the hero mentality about leadership. And that story helped me along the way. We have all, we have all these preconceived notions about being you know, in the military and whatnot. The truth is that the military is always learning. Our military is always very strong because we're always learning and we're asking each other questions regardless of rank, position in society. And I think um, the answer lies in being able to tap into the collective wisdom of our team. And, um, I, you know, at that moment in time, it was my responsibility to do the tracking of, of, of the movement of the quote-unquote enemy at that time. Right. And, you know, the enemy right now is an invisible enemy, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, you're witnessing, and I think we're witnessing, and it's easy, it's easy to get caught up in all the negativity. But I, I see an enormous number of people using what they do have, not saying what they don't have, but using what they do have to build upon that, to be able to reconstruct our lives. And it's so inspiring to see people use what they have. When you said, you know, when you said I, I you know, walked into the, uh, up into the mountain, well, part of it was is that, you know, I mean, there were little things that I did know how to do that gave me comfort. I was just telling the story recently that, you know, when I was feeling bad in the army or overwhelmed or discouraged or whatnot, you know, I, I, I the, a simple act of something that was comforting to me was to shine my boots each night. You knew how to do that. I knew how to do that. <laughs> right. And, and it gave me time to think and reflect. And it was somewhat therapeutic to, to shine my shoes every night. Yeah. And so we all have those things. And I think, you know, building upon what we do have, you know, later on in my career, um, I, you know, worked, um, with um, Secretary Rumsfeld um, and, and others in, in, in high-ranking positions. And I'll never forget, during the 9-11 um, year lo years-long uh, events, that he would say, well, you go to war with what you have, not with what you wish you have. And you begin to build upon what you have so that you can, quote-unquote, win the war. And I think in this case of COVID-19, all of us leaders need to remind ourselves that even if you only have you and one other person on your team, 
you have another person with which to be able to build things and, and um, look at the angles of opportunity and issues uh, more collectively so that you can win. Uh, leaders win with a team. It's this whole myth about, you know, we as leaders are, are leading and we're winning. No, 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 no. There, there's always a team about somewhere, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we know that our, our biological default setting is self-preservation. We call it self-preservation orientation. And when you're in the midst of, of stress or in this case, a crisis, it elevates that that self-preservation. And, and as human beings, we're fighting our own natural biology to, to, to slow down and to calm down and to be inclusive. It's literally fighting your own biology. Um, and so what we tell a lot of our folks is that, well, if you're going to operate that way, at least think that self-preservation, your ability to preserve yourself is better enhanced with other people. <laughs> so even if you got to position it, so, cause most people get myopic, right? In, in crisis, they get myopic and they go into you know, the fight or flight mode, which elevates your neurochemistry to the wrong neurochemicals. And then you're not nearly as creative, not nearly as empathic and not nearly as productive as what you could be. And I think so many people are experiencing that right now. And this stories like this are huge. Cause I think it motivates us out there to think about on my team right now, I want, this is what I want leaders out there to think about our small business owners who on your team right now is more creative than you've ever given them an opportunity to show you. I'm so glad you said that. You know why? Because the part of the story I didn't get a chance to tell you yet is remember how I told you I was tracking the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason why we were successful in that situation is because I had two non-commissioned officers who knew a thousand times more about the enemy and about uh, combat engineer work. And before I came on shift, they were tracking the battle and setting everything, everything up so that when I showed up on my shift, I was able to take that information and assimilate to what I know. So it was that was my non-commissioned officers that were the, the, the ones that really uh, helped us out in that situation, helped us win. And to the same point you just said, I mean, the, the, we underestimate the profound depth of creativity and innovation that the Lord gives us, each one of us. And it's only sometimes when we're pushed to the brink that we realize, okay, use what we have. And we have vast stores inside of all of us that often go untapped. You don't have to be an entrepreneurial MacGyver, right? It's, 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 it's about everyday life. Everyday life, it, it's, yes. it's about, one, kind of waking up with a mindset of gratitude for what you do have. And so many people don't take inventory of that every day. And that's one of my encouragements to folks out there is when you wake up in the morning, before you even get out of bed, just do a little gratitude inventory. I love that. Because uh, it, it really sets your mind, right, for, okay, now I've taken inventory of what I do have, and I've been thankful for what I do have, and now I can figure out how to use that more productively. And I think for my team, they've been really good at challenging me during this time. Um, I had, years ago, Todd, I had an opportunity when I started this company to have dinner with John Maxwell. Oh, wow. And he said to me, I said, can you give any advice? I worked in corporate America my whole life. I built big teams. I had big budgets. You know, I, you know, if I left the cave and didn't bring back an elk, there was a free just dried <laughs> elk waiting for me. Like I didn't have to eat what I killed. Any advice for a budding entrepreneur? And he said, the minute that somebody can do something 80% as well as you can, let them do it. It's, I've never forgotten that yet. Yeah. I've not practiced it always. Because I like to control things because, well, of course I know how to do them the best. <laughs> I'm the founder. Of course I know how to do them the best. And my team, and I've given them permission to do this. They really ch have challenged me to say, hey, what are you not giving us that we can do? Can you give me more? Can I? And so I got to go 
you know, it's like, uh, you remember the meet the Paris, uh, Ben Stiller's characters on the plane and he's got the bag and she wants to take the, the, the stewardess wants to take the bag out of his hand. He's like, you can pry this out of my Kung Fu grip. Right. So you know, I think control for most leaders and entrepreneurs is hard to give up because you're afraid that you're going to fail ultimately, which is, that's part of the, that's part of the road, brother. If you don't fail, you know, what are you learning? As you go. So. I'm so glad you said that. Can I tell you a quick little story? Absolutely. So, so um, you know, I've been doing my podcast for five years. And so I'd like to think I understand, it's called From Founder to CEO. So I'd like to think I, I understand as a founder myself and working with thousands of founders, uh, that, that journey from founder to CEO. But um, so I said to myself, you know what? But what if I don't? But, so I hired a uh, person to do a qualitative research study of all our podcast episodes and every interview that we've had with our guests. And, um, and I was surprised when she quantified the responses and the issues and challenges. Um, I was surprised by the number one issue like that came up the most that founders struggle with. You want to know what it is? I'd love to. Learning to let go. And, and so as I was t- reading her report, I said to myself, oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> and like, right. like the moment I finally said, well, I'll let someone else do this study of all of our podcast episodes. Right. And I realized, wow. I mean, like I, I too, like even in doing this episode, I, doing this uh, exercise, I was going to do the one, I was going to be the one that go back and listen to them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And so being able to see that in that example was quite jarring to me because it goes back to what you just said. And, and that is that learning to let go and being able to allow the genius that is in so many other people to arise to the top. It is the secret sauce of solving some of life's most insurmountable problems, just like we will do right now with COVID-19. Never in the history of mankind do we have the biotech capabilities present on this blue marble in the universe right now. We will get through this situation. The only issue is we're anxious about the when. That's it. Yeah, there's so much... You know, we've become such a fast food nation, and I don't mean that from a health standpoint necessarily. I just mean from a, uh, I get it now, and you know, I want it now. I need it now, and now there's even more research showing that when you Google something, if the page doesn't load in under two seconds, you move on. Are you serious? <laughs> right. So, so, so we we want answers now, and when we don't get them, we're you know, it's we're, we're, it's a shiny nickel effect. You know, it's the cat chasing the flashlight on the wall. We we move we move to the next shiny object to try to solve that problem, and it can really be problematic, especially for. for for entrepreneurs and for small business owners, because if you don't, and I, by the way, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. Oh, <laughs> me too. Comes, I was about to tell you, there's another one of my flaws. You know? <laughs> right here. My team is good again at telling me, because I'm, I'm an ideator. I got ideas for days. I mean, I've got like, I see yes. bookshelves behind you. In my home office, I've got bookshelves full of ideas. <laughs> Your notebooks with your ideas. I've learned. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I've learned to stop bringing oh, those to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because my team is like, hey, that's a great idea, but we haven't executed the other seven. <laughs> oh, I can relate. So just you, know, we, you and I can talk I about these kind of things all day long, right? Because uh, I think, but these things, I want people that are listening who aren't small business owners or entrepreneurs um, to also recognize that these are the same exact principles that impede us in our personal lives. 
You know, there's a reason why so many marriages end in divorce because people get bored with one another and they don't, they, they stop looking, you know, at the gratitude list of inventory of why I married this person in the first place. So I'm going to go chase a shiny nickel. And there's a reason why, you know, you can fill in the blank with all these personal issues. It all kind of comes back down to that idea of having peace within yourself, of knowing who you are, knowing how you're wired knowing where you're walking from a purpose standpoint and being okay with failing along the way and letting other people help you. Yeah. I'm, 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 I just say that I'm also reflecting on myself too about all this. Cause I think, I think we're all kind of on, on, a, on a journey of understanding that. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I'm reflecting too, because I think a lot of us are confronting ourselves as we're at home working with our families and um, where, you know, kids are learning at home I mean, this is going back to like, you know, the early days of the forming of this country where kids are at the kitchen table learning and (laughs) parents are cooking and cutting wood and, you know, all the kind of stuff working from home. Churning butter. (laughs) I know churning butter. That's right. You know, apparently everybody's making bread right now because apparently flour is like going off the shelves. But, you know, I think um, um, getting back to the simple things that are most important to all of us, whether in our family life or our business life. Um, there, that, that is one, I think the blessings and silver linings of this very challenging time period. Yeah. And you, you'll love this from a military standpoint with a background. We teach this from a, a neuropsychology standpoint that under stress, the human brain will always resort to its highest level of training. And that's on purpose, right? So military trains that. So you, your instincts are, are the highest level of training. You want to be able to react in that moment without having to sit and <laughs> pontificate and process. So Todd, uh, looks like the enemy's about to launch. Um, what do you think we should do here? Like you, <clears throat> you don't have time for that. However, the problem is, is most human beings, highest level of training is not always the most productive. And they resort back to bad habits as their highest level of training. So when they get under that pressure and stress and crisis, then your highest level of, of training spits out, oh, well, I, I, I'm an anger becomes my vent, or maybe I shut down. I don't, whatever that is for you as a leader, as a parent, as a friend, what's your highest level of training? Because if, if it's not, if it's not calm, empathic, productive, and people focused, then you won't resort to that. You'll actually go the opposite direction in crisis. Yet another reason why everyone listening to this needs to invest in your services now when they have the time <laughs> so that they can level up that level of training, right? <laughs> Hey, and I, and just for the audience, I did not pay Todd to say that. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. I, I'm, I'm serious though, because now is a great time to be able to invest in that so that the next crisis, there will be another crisis, maybe hopefully not this big, right. um, but at least in every business and every family and every individual has some point in time. But I think you're right. Do you know, there's this phrase, when you said that, it reminded me of, um, uh, so <laughs> I will sometimes listen to uh, CDs from um, Zig Ziglar with my kids in the car much to their dismay. Um, and, and so he has this phrase, and you'll help me remember, because I'm sure you know Zig too. Um, like he says, um, life is easy. You know, uh, life is easier if you're hard on yourself or something like that. Um, it's like the more you train to put the, during good times, you put the way you push yourself. Right. Right. So when you do have bad times, your body and your mind is already conditioned. I think that's your point. I forget how Zig says it, but he has a way of saying it that's really profound. Yeah, we had uh, we had Tom Ziegler on. Oh, you not did? Too long ago. Yeah, and, oh, and, uh, and he got to re- just relive so many of Zig's stories of his son growing up under I his know, wing. I'm know, like, oh yeah. my gosh, I was just soaking <laughs> it all in, right? And Zig's the master. Uh, yeah, that's that's very good. So, well, listen, I, I don't want to you know take too much more of your time, Todd. You've been great, and I think there's a lot of lessons that many of us, myself included, have taken away from you today. 
Uh, I really appreciate your time on here. For those who are listening and want to learn more about Todd, I'm going to give you a couple places to go. Uh, his his executive coaching firm, Baker and, and Dabol, is Baker Dabol. I keep saying it wrong. Dabol, right? Dabol. Yes, that's good. Baker B-A-K-E-R-D-A-B-O-L-L.com. Also, his incredible podcast from founder to CEO is from founder to CEO, T-O-C-E-O.com. Uh, you can learn a lot. He's got some amazing guests on that, his podcast from Seth, Seth Godin, you know, to Pat Flynn, to many, many, many others. So you can learn a lot there as well. Um, are there any other resources that we can point folks to, Todd, to, to, to learn more about how you can help them? Well, I think they all need to check out Brain Trust. <laughs> well, they're, they're listening. They've already, they're already in the family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyone, any of my, I'll share this with my audience too. Anyone in my audience um, listening to this conversation, I have a lot of respect for what Jeff and his team are doing as well. And so I, Highly encourage you to, to check out. It's braintrust.com, right? Braintrust growth. Growth. Braintrust growth. Braintrustgrowth.com. Yeah, they wanted way too much money for the braintrust.com. You I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I highly encourage everyone to check out that too because I love what you're doing, Jeff. Thank you, brother. It's uh, great to have you on and, and I look forward to staying connected with you. So thanks again. My pleasure. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.